Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the doctor speaking, dissecting the intersection between work and learning. I have a very special guest here today. He is also going to be uh, one of our speakers in our Kent Business School uh, Higher Degree Apprenticeship Conference later in November. Do listen out at the end of this podcast for the little advert and also uh, look at the description of this podcast for further links. Um, Jonathan, welcome. Very good to be here. Uh, Jonathan, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are. Uh, don't give too much away because we're going to go into that a little bit later, uh, but do introduce yourself. Okay, my name's Jonathan Garnett. Uh, I'm an emeritus professor of Middlesex University, currently visiting professor at Leeds Trinity University, uh, thought leader in work-based learning for the Global Centre for Work Applied Learning, and in my spare time, I run my own consultancy company. Now you know why I have a special guest. You heard all of those uh, wonderful accolades being mentioned there. Jonathan, uh, you have just mentioned the word which is the focus of today's podcast, work-based learning. Now, if you have published or read in the world of work-based learning, you'll be going, hang on, Jonathan Garnett, that sounds very, very familiar. Tell us a little bit more about your experience in work-based learning. When did it start? Uh, and please tell us all about these publications and all the things that you've achieved in the world of work-based learning. Thank you, Trevor. That's uh, You have to be careful what you wish for saying things like that. I got drawn into work-based learning in, in the, the very early 1990s. My particular interest at that stage was looking at the accreditation of prior experiential learning. So this idea that people could achieve high-level learning outside of traditional higher education courses, that, that was my personal interest. And that, that was at Middlesex University, that coincided with a major employment department funded project called the Curriculum in the Workplace Project, which again was looking at this idea that people, in order to be effective in their particular work roles, had to develop, had to acquire higher level knowledge and skills and capabilities, and that not all of that Indeed, in some cases, none of that might have come through conventional higher education. So it's really that sort of conjoining of those two interests. So as a consequence of that, I was one of the founder members of the Middlesex National Centre for Work-Based Learning Partnerships in 1992. Uh, I was very active there developing partnerships with major employers. So, for instance, uh, Bovis Construction, Marks and Spencers in the UK, but also doing uh, international work. From 1997, I became the, the head of that centre. And, and from then on, I was responsible for the strategic development of work-based learning at Middlesex. And that involved the design and delivery of work-based learning programmes at all higher education levels. So running all the way from undergraduate certificate, full honours degree, master's degree, right up to uh, professional doctorate and developing those in partnership and offering them in the UK, but also internationally. So it, it was a you know really exciting time, lots of opportunities. And we really felt we were at the cutting edge in terms of the development that was going on. In uh, 2014, I left Middlesex to establish my own work-based learning uh, consultancy company. Basically, I wanted to get back 
more to the educational side rather than being more on the managerial side of the higher education. So since then, I've had the opportunity to work with a number of UK universities to help them to introduce or expand work-based learning. And that almost invariably being part of them equipping themselves to engage with the degree apprenticeship agenda. So that's been the, the major driver within the UK. Internationally, I've had a, an ongoing uh, link with the New Zealand Quality Assurance Agency. So there I've been helping them to introduce and then quality assure work-based learning at particularly master's and professional doctorate level. So that, that's been a fabulous opportunity. And then for eight years now, I've been associated with the uh, Global Centre for Work Applied Learning, which is a, a private organisation. And it focuses on the use of work-based, work-applied learning to bring about change in the context of organisations. Sometimes that might lead to a higher education qualification, but not but not always. So that's, again, that's been sort of another rich area of understanding. My research interests have very much been around work-based learning as a, a new phenomenon on the higher education landscape. So in terms of the starting point, focusing on the individual learner but that learner in the context of their work and therefore inevitably where that person is in an employed situation the employer is a a critical part of that learning process or perhaps if the person is self-employed the the other interested party might be a client or professional body so it's not just about the university and the learner I think that's a sort of critical feature so exploring the implications of that have been a, a theme of a lot of the things that I've been writing about and sometimes the, the tensions that that can create for a traditional model of higher education and how universities might need to respond to that, to be perhaps more flexible, to look at things in different ways. And also critically, the way that that certainly challenges traditional views about the predominance of subject disciplines as being the, the sole foundation of high level knowledge. So for instance, I've I've written about work-based learning very much as a a transdisciplinary. So it's it's not just work-based learning doesn't fit into one subject area. It's not just combining subject areas. It's something that's qualitatively different. And at at Middlesex, my professorship was was actually in work-based knowledge. So it's looking at a knowledge that is practical, focused. In some ways, it's circumscribed by time and from the imperatives of work so it's not sufficient to spend a long time very methodically researching something if you need your best answer within the next week day 24 hours and and that then makes a difference in terms of how you, how you judge knowledge how you value it how you develop it so again it, it's it's an area that i find fascinating and and also one i think which has great power in terms of enabling the university world to make new contributions to the world of work and therefore to the individuals involved so i see it very much as a, an empowering process from the individual learner's point of view but also one where the the university itself can can learn through engaging with a whole variety of different professional areas. Very creative, very exciting and something that I'm uh, you know, passionate about. That is absolutely brilliant, but I want to give you permission for even more brag right. Name drop some of the big names. I know some of the people that you've worked with, such as David from Australia, uh, had a major big link to Middlesex and 
uh, again, a prolific writer in the initial stages that, uh, you know, this got kind of implemented across universities. I know as well, you know, Tony really well and that you're on the boards. Uh, so let, let, let's continue doing a bit of more bragging uh, and, and do some name dropping in terms of some of the prolific people that we will know within the world of work-based learning that you've worked with, Jonathan. Okay, well, to, to start off with, very much the sort of grandfather of work-based learning at, at Middlesex and, you know, personal friend and mentor is Professor Derek Portwood. Derek is a, the, the grandfather of work-based learning because he, he was actually the first person to come up with the idea that this wasn't just a mode of learning we were talking about. It, it was something that, that was different and ought to be regarded as a field of study in its own right, which at the time that he came up with that in the early 1990s was really very, very rad. And I think, I think that at Middlesex was further developed when the university appointed Professor John Stevenson to come and, and work there, because John had this amazingly rich background in learner-managed learning and has also been active in the work-based learning field. So that was another major influence. And I think it, it was the sort of work that we got going as a, as a result of that, which then made it interesting to Dave Bowd, who came and visiting professor at Middlesex. And I and other colleagues were invited to contribute to chapters in his sort of what was a pretty groundbreaking book on you know work-based learning and new higher education which i think was published in the in the very early 2000s the university of chester was one of the very early adopters of work-based learning so it had you know really fruitful links with the the leaders there from uh, professor david major currently david perrin tony wall i first encountered at, at chester before he you know then went on professor at liverpool so that, again, other, I think, significant figures, uh, Professor Ruth Hellyer, who unfortunately recently departed, but, but you know, a, a, a major influence and leader in the work-based learning area and a good, a good friend and, you know, co-op. Uh, Professor Carol Costley at Middlesex and um, also Professor Paul Gibb, again, sort of very active on the, the transdisciplinary angle. I'm trying desperately now don't want to miss anybody <laughs> out of it so that I don't get in, get into uh... I'll rescue you from that I'll rescue you from that thank you very much uh, and I just really wanted to do that because I think again uh, particularly as I engage with other academics in higher education and work-based learning is a new concept still for them it's helpful and hopefully this podcast makes them aware that you know uh, these aren't kind of um, left field ideas by somebody who's bored within academia these are really credible highly credential uh, people who are driving forward to this knowledge production and knowledge thinking game can I just add in as well um I've enjoyed particularly fruitful links with the University of Derby over the years. So Anne Minton, Professor David Young, in fact, David and I ran a series of conferences titled Work-Based Learning Futures, which we you know, really enjoyed doing. And, and that sort of sprang out of a notion that having been active in the area for quite a period of time, we were a bit worried that wheels kept on being reinvented. And so we were trying to get people together to, to be more forward thinking and you know sort of generally advance what we were thinking and talking about so, so that, that was great fun as well now listeners of the podcast you will know that i've interviewed some really prolific people in the world of work integrated learning 
Um, I've spoken to the chair of ASSET, which is the UK uh, kind of placement internship work-based learning organization. I've spoken uh, with WACE, uh, with ASSEN, uh, with the New Zealand Work Integrated Learning Networks. So we've already started to say that this is, this is not a traditional form of education. So we're going to come back to how this is different within the higher educational landscape in a minute. But I just want to first explore with you, Jonathan, how do you see conceptually the difference between work-based learning, so somebody who is in employment, and work-integrated learning, where the, the, the key driver here is to offer employability opportunities, such as placements and internships, and so on. And from your perspective, there's been a lot of debate as to, you know, work-based learning being part of the umbrella concept of work-integrated learning, or whether it's a field, as you said, on its own in terms of its scholarship and discipline. Um, love to hear your views on that. Okay. I, I see work-integrated learning as being different because the starting point is very much the, the learner as a student engaged in a higher education program and primarily they're requiring knowledge skills capabilities which they're then going out if you like into the world of work to put into practice and maybe they're refining and developing them hopefully as a consequence of doing that but it's the emphasis is very much about putting into practice in the real world something that they've, they've gained within the academy whereas work-based learning i would see is that the starting point is the individual as the worker they're engaging with the university, so they are also a student, but the primacy is, is, is work and the needs of that work from a knowledge and learning point of view. And also work then as the context. So one of the early definitions of work-based learning that I, I still think is very powerful is work-based learning is learning for work, primarily at work and primarily through the work itself which I think does sort of make the difference in terms of the you know wh where that's situated and where, it, where it's coming from now of course there's potentially massive overlap between the two and I, I used to get extremely agitated and, and excited by the sort of defining things and I, I've, I've, I think I, I think I've mellowed over the years so I'm, I'm less a zealot in terms of proclaiming you know this is work-based learning it's entirely different from placement or work integrated learning because actually, and I, th I think actually the, the degree apprenticeship agenda is really bringing the two things closer together. Because degree apprenticeships, you know, if, if they're not heavily work-based learning, there's something gone wrong. But similarly, if the degree apprenticeship's not being informed by the added value of working with the university by engaging with appropriate subject disciplines in appropriate formats, then, then again, that would be a deficient model too so i think you know what while it's, it's useful to have these different ideas not least in terms of the the mindset that we as academics bring because i think that one of the key requirements and sometimes challenges that both work-based learning and, and to a you know considerable extent work integrated learning as well it, it does challenge us in terms of if you like it and, and i'm going to i'm going to generalize to to make a point but you know the, the view of the the academic as a sage of the subject expert they've spent years acquiring this knowledge and understanding and they're going to cultivate it in the the learners and maybe not sitting at their feet anymore but you know the, the learners haven't got it the academic has got it and some somehow possibly by osmosis i'm not sure that the, the you know this interchange is going, is going, is going to be spread 
I'm not I'm not a big fan of traditional lectures, I should add at this point. Now, what uh, you're describing, we know, is called mode one learning, and this is yeah. quite a key concept within work-based yeah. learning. And, right. and you're naturally taking us into this area now of what makes work-based learning different from traditional education. Yeah. And I do want to focus on the role of the educator. So I've interrupted you there too quickly just to make that point. If you want to carry on. So so what makes work-based learning from your own background and experience different from traditional university education, particularly thinking about the role of the educator. So you've mentioned yeah. this word sage. What, what is a work-based learning educator, if not a sage? Uh, you, I, I think there is certainly sage element, but they're not entirely rooted in a specific subject discipline expertise. A lot of the skill revol revolves around the capacity to engage with particular work contexts in a way that is facilitating the learner and in some cases facilitating the organization as well in order to develop the learner as a more critical not just understander of higher level learning but also potentially as a developer of higher level learning in their own right related to their work and their work context so for instance i've i've worked with some extremely knowledgeable people sometimes in senior positions who know far more about specific aspects of the program that we are jointly developing than I would do. But I can bring with them, off, often through sort of critical questioning, help them to develop their thinking. So it's, it's moved a long way from the, the mode one, as you say, I've got it, you haven't got it, let's, let's, you know, let's pass that on, to far more of something akin to knowledge co-creation, I think I'd like to call it. So, so it's not just about facilitating it, it it's, it's adding to, it's adding value to, but it doesn't require the learner to be a very active participant in the learning process. And that's something which might not necessarily come naturally to a lot of people. You know, that again, people will come thinking it's your job to almost, you know, help me to learn something. What am I going to learn today? You tell me. And sometimes to, to actually to flip that. And say okay so you know what are you bringing to the table what is it that you know and understand what networks do you have what did you learn at work this week and usually that you know in response to that question that will be associated with some sort of challenging situation maybe it's an opportunity maybe it's something that went wrong that had to be corrected so that i think you know a key concept and an area of expertise from the, the academic's point of view is, is very much around developing the learner as a reflective practitioner so, so, you know, it might be introducing, say, models of reflective practice, but very much around questioning and getting the learner into the habit of questioning themselves, not taking their context for granted, not taking their colleagues for granted. So it's actually, you know, high level stuff, but not necessarily traditional subject box ticking. To say subject expertise might not be important in particular critical areas. And you, you lead us nicely into the, the kind of third area we wanted to explore here. It's very clear, and I know this, uh, work-based learning is about a tripartite relationship, the academic institution, the students, and the employment context. So inevitably, there is a collaboration that needs to take place. We're already hearing here how the academic needs to be more facilitative and almost, in a sense, make that collaboration more explicit so that the, the learner doesn't ignore that as an element of their learning. So, again, from your background, from your experience, and I know that this is one of the subjects that you're going to be covering uh, in the November Higher Degree Apprenticeship uh, Conference in Kent, 
what is the role, do you think? What is the pivotal role? What are the, the, the primary important elements of the role of collaboration in work-based learning? I, I think it's critical in terms of making sure that the the work interest, the context of work, but also the you know the imperatives, what's driving it from the work point of view, is very much to the fore. Not always dominant, but all but always there, always having to be taken into account. So as I said before, it's not just a cosy relationship between the university and the individual learner, the employer or possibly client whatever that third party interest is, needs to be involved. But I think also a part of, of developing that collaboration is the idea that it's also a way of managing what can be a situation with tensions built into it. So, for instance, it might not be enough that an organisation has bought into the idea of supporting work-based learning at senior level or at senior HR level. You've also got to convince the immediate line manager that there's something in it from their point of view. It's not going to be distracting their people from, from doing the day job. It's actually meant to be enhancing what the individual's capable of. So I think that's a, an important consideration. So it, it's easy just to go there with your rose-tinted glasses on and say, oh, it's, it's wonderful. But actually, there, there are serious issues around just, just basic things about time allocation, maybe giving the individual learner opportunities to have experiences across different parts of the organization which aren't going to necessarily naturally happen they have to be planned in and they have to be planned in in, in collaboration with the with the employer partner so for instance at Middlesex quite early on we expanded the notion of a three-way learning agreement so it wasn't just university learner and one employer signature we usually asked for two employer signatures one was the if you like the senior leader, the senior management buy-in, and the other one was the uh, immediate line manager or, or local business centre head. And that way, we felt that we, you know, in the longer term, we we're actually making life easier because the immediate line manager felt that they also had a stake in this program; they were being involved, and they also had the opportunity to shape it so that it was contributing towards, you know, the particular targets of the unit, uh, and that. That I think was a, was quite an important learning point from the from the university's point of view. Thank you very much. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that if we uh, had more time and we uh, unpacked that even further more, uh, we'd be easily uh, rattling off some challenges that that creates. Typically, because uh, you know you you've got different institutions and cultures or uh, cultures of practice clashing yeah. uh, expectations of the student. Um, so yes, it's a vitally important part, but it's it's not easy, uh, and it and it's uh, again it needs to be intentional in the way in which we do that. Jonathan, thank you very much for giving us some uh, time, some sharing with your experience. Uh, we look forward to unpacking this a, a lot more in November, and we look forward to the time uh, around a meal and a beer, uh, being able to unpack this even more, uh, and, and again just draw from your uh, extensive experience. And it's, and it's a great privilege to have you as part of the conference in November. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk about my favourite subject. And I'm really looking <laughs> forward to a dynamic conference in November. Brilliant. So that's it from us. Uh, keep an eye on the next one, which will be due uh, next month. Thank you, everybody. Uh, speak to you soon. Bye now. Thank you again, Jonathan, for being part of the podcast. And as mentioned in the podcast, there is a high degree apprenticeship conference coming up in the last weekend of November uh, in Medway in Kent. 
Uh, it's primarily for uh, Kent Business School and all of those who are involved, students, employers, uh, lecturers, etc., etc. Uh, but the in overall theme is about co-creating. And so uh, we are opening up the invitation for anybody else who works within work-based learning or, or who is involved in higher degree apprenticeships to come and join us uh, on the weekend of the 24th of November. Um, in the description of this podcast, you'll find the web links. Also, you can look on my LinkedIn profile where you can also find the web link. Uh, and you're most welcome to come and join us in co-creating. Uh, and that's the theme of the entire weekend. The conference is being run in partnership with uh, the Kent Business School is hosting it, but it's run in partnership with the Global and Lifelong Learning uh, Support Services of the University of Kent, as well as the ISREA, which is a European uh, Society for the Research of um, the Education of Adults, their network, the Working Life and Learning Network. And we're also doing this in partnership with Emerald Insight, the Journal of Work Applied Management. So uh, again, all these details are on our website. I just wanted to make you aware a little bit of the structure uh, as part of this podcast. So uh, one of the keynote speakers will be myself uh, as the Director of Studies for High Degree Apprenticeships for the Kent Business School. I'll be talking about co-creation as boundary spanning, brokering and translating. And this picks up on some of the stuff uh, that myself uh, and Jonathan were talking about in terms of the role of the tutor, cross-disciplinary, transdisciplinary, and these kinds of things. Jonathan will be speaking on the Saturday morning, uh, and his uh, theme will be co-creation as re reciprocity. Uh, and then we have a speaker from the Working Life and Learning Network of ISRIA, uh, Dr. Pierre Feller from Columbia University in New York, uh, and he'll be speaking around co-creation as unified divergence. Uh, as part of the, the weekend, we also have paper presentations for those academics who would like to do a formal conference paper. Uh, there is a call for abstracts. Again, this is live on the website. We're also having a, a pedagogic dialogue symposium element. Uh, one of our speakers already confirmed is uh, Anne from Pearson, uh, PLC. We will also have uh, endpoint assessment showcases. Uh, we will have uh, tours of Medway, if you'd like that, of the shipyards or the uh, gin distillery. We have tables where we'll be talking around modes of learning, uh, as well as a panel discussion and a round table, which will uh, be consisting of employees, but also then a round table consisting of a mixture of people around modes of learning. So lots of things to do on the weekend. You are most welcome. You are invited. Please do look at the websites and the description in this podcast. Thank you very much and hope to see you in November. Bye now. You've been listening to the doctor and he just dissected the intersection between work and learning.